The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Every Sunday night in the Barnes household, Rebecca and I and the kids, we have a movie night. And it rotates who gets to pick the movie. And so tonight, our youngest, Hope, she's four, she's going to pick the movie and everyone in the family already knows what movie it's going to be. It's the same movie pretty much every week for the last uh, several months and for the foreseeable future, it's going to be the same movie. It's going to be Winnie the Pooh. And listen, I got nothing against Winnie the Pooh. In fact, you know, I, 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 for 10 years, I've, you know, learned more of, as I've been a parent about Winnie the Pooh. And then also from my childhood, I just feel like I've heard everything that Winnie the Pooh needs to say to me in my life, okay? So I've had a lot of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, also, just my personal preference of movies, I like movies that have a little bit more suspense to them, okay? It's got a little bit more action. And yes, there is an occasional uh, beehive and maybe an occasional heffalump in the mix, but I typically look for movies that have a little bit more suspense and intensity. And I've watched as the kids have gotten older, as we've watched movies that have maybe a little bit more suspense in it, I've watched how the kids have watched the movie and it's been interesting to see. So for example, we'll be watching maybe a Star Wars movie with the older ones and um, they'll say, they'll be like right in the intense part, and they've not, seen, they've not seen a whole lot of movies that are intense like this, and they're watching, their eyes are wide, they're not blinking, you know, and they're looking, and then they, they'll look over at me and be like, Dad, what's gonna happen? And they'll ask something like this, like, let's say it's Return of the Jedi, a Star Wars movie, and they'll be like, Dad, is Luke gonna turn to the dark side? And I'm thinking, like, if I told you that, like, why are we watching the whole movie? Like, the whole point is you have to see how that plays out. Like, I could just spoil it all, pause it, and be like, yeah, he doesn't turn to the dark side. It's all going to be okay. We don't need to watch it. I could do that. But, but that's the whole point of walking through the movie. At the same time, I appreciate the suspense of the movie. I appreciate that. I appreciate that the feeling when the suspense is like really boiling in a movie and you're just like, I think I would enjoy this better if I knew what happened in the end. And I can appreciate that, that emotion. Now here's why I bring this up. We're living, as every human is, a story, a story of humanity, a story of redemption a story of God's relationship with the world and our relationship with the world and with each other. We're living a story. There's a story in our lives. And God in his wisdom knew that the wisest thing for us is to know how it ends. So that as we're living through the suspense and intensity of the moments that we're living in, we at least know how the whole thing ends, how the story of humanity is going to end. Now, we don't know everything about how it's going to end. We know a lot less than we would like to know, but there are some things that the Bible does speak to as far as how and what and when. There's some things that the Bible speaks to that God wanted us to know, and so it's wise for us to open up the scripture and say, okay, what does the Bible say about how it all is going to end? 
So we're going to open up God's word together. Now, this is a series that we've been planning for the last uh, six months. We did not uh, anticipate that there would be the global events going on that, um, that are, but we're going to stick with the passages that we've been planning and the things that we've been working on for the last several months. And in God's providence, let him speak to us the truths that he wants us to know about how, how it all is going to end. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to open with me in your Bible or your Bible app to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Thessalonians is actually a letter Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Thessalonica. He, he knew this church, he started this church, and a, a few months or years later, he's writing back to them because they've got some questions, and s- some of their questions are around, how does everything end? What are, we, what are we supposed to be waiting and looking for? And so this is one of those texts that speaks exactly to what does God say? What does the Bible say about how everything ends? Let's look at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start right there in verse 1. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now, pause with me just for a second. Let's just kind of get our bearings in this. We're, We're entering right towards the end of this letter. Here's what, um, here's what he's talking about. He says, okay, I'm going to now address your questions about the times and seasons. Now, the times and seasons of what? Like, what, what are they asking? They're asking, hey, when is something going to happen? And he says, let me now address the answer of when. Now, what specifically is he talking about? In the previous verses, he just gave a reference to when Jesus returns, Now, this is so important. I don't want to just skip over this. Let's have a a, a robust understanding of what what does this mean, Jesus returns. What does this mean? Okay. All throughout the Old Testament, it's waiting, it's pointing to and preparing for a Messiah to come. There is one whose promise foretold, that goes all the way back to Genesis it works all the way through. It's revealed in different ways. Different details are exposed, revealed, and it's all the way to the Old Testament. It's pointing to a coming Messiah that they're waiting for. In the New Testament, it points back to, to the Messiah having come, Jesus Christ. He was the Messiah. He taught about being the Messiah. He, the, the eyewitnesses talk about how he fulfills all the, prom, the, the, the promises of being the Messiah. But one thing is particularly powerful as we see the story of Jesus actually unfold, we find out that the Messiah is not just another person. The Messiah, the one who was raised up, the one who came to save humanity from all its brokenness and save his people, the one who came was not just a person. It was God himself in the flesh. You say, well, that's crazy. That's what all the eyewitnesses said too. That's what now that we look back in the Old Testament, we see hints of in preparation where we see uh, passages like in Isaiah 59 where God says, I'm surveying over all of the earth and all its brokenness. I see no one who can rise up. So I will come in power and in might. I will come to bring justice and righteousness and salvation. So Jesus Christ, he came, he was God in the flesh. He came as the Messiah. 
but you probably know what happened. He ends up getting crucified on a cross. But that was not a plan B. That was not, uh, this plan didn't get sabotaged. That's actually why he came. He came to save by being a sacrifice to pay for sins. He came to die. The author of life came to die. He dies on a cross and he's paying this ultimate sacrifice for all of our sins, all the punishment and wrath that sin justly deserves, sin against the holy God. He's paying for it on the cross. He's dead and he's buried. And then the eyewitnesses tell us something they were not expecting happened, something they should have been prepared for because it's talked about in the Old Testament. He taught them himself, but still they were not ready. He rises again from the dead on the third day. And these eyewitnesses, he appears to hundreds of them. These eyewitnesses go from cowering in fear to giving the rest of their lives saying, I don't know what to tell you. I saw him dead and then I saw him alive. He is the Messiah. And you say, how can someone rise themselves from the dead? You're right, someone can't unless they're God in the flesh. It proves and proved that he was God. He rose again from the dead he met with his disciples. He commissioned them to tell the good news through the world. And then, as if they hadn't seen enough mind-bending things, it says they're standing with him on a mountain and he ascends. He goes back up right before them, back up to heaven, and they're standing there staring into the sky. I mean, talk about sensory overload for these poor people over the last few weeks. They're standing there looking up in the sky and then angels appear to them and say, what are you doing? Why are you staring into the sky? And you know they're tempted to say, oh, I don't know, just someone lifted up and floated up there. I just couldn't believe it, so I'm still standing here. But they say, but be ready. This is what the angels say. Because he's coming again. He's going to return in the same way you just saw him leave. He's going to, he's going to come. It's not some transcendent spiritual return. Jesus will return bodily back to earth one day. That was confirmation of things that Jesus had been saying. The night before he's crucified, he's got the disciples together and he says this to him. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I am going to go away, but I'm just going to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back. I'm going to return to get you. This is something he taught. He taught all through, his, through, his, through his ministry. He says, I'm going to return a second time. And this becomes one of the anchor core principles of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, or the ancient Greek word is mathetes, being a mathetes of Jesus, is to believe that the Messiah came, but Jesus is coming back one day. He's going to return. Paul has just referenced this. Back to 1 Thessalonians. Paul has just referenced this in the previous verses. And so there he's saying, now let me answer your question, when? When is that going to happen? When is Jesus going to come back? That is an answer to that. The answer to that question, I think everyone who believes in Jesus would like to know. He says, let me answer the times and seasons. When is he coming back? And he says this. He says, you have no need for me to write you. Why? Why, Paul? I, mean, I think that's a very good question. Why, why do we not have a reason? I think we have a good reason for you to ask us. Why? Let's pick it up in verse 2. He says this. 
For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now, Jesus, or, uh, Jesus taught on both these, so Paul is actually quoting two of Jesus' most famous illustrations. There's a teaching that Jesus gave. You can find it in Matthew 24 and, and another place as well. There's a teaching that Jesus gave where he uses these two illustrations about what it's going to be like when he returns. One of those, uh, those illustrations is the one Paul uses first, where he says, Jesus will return like a thief in the night. Now, here's what, how the illustration goes. He says, imagine the master of the house does not know when the thief is coming, so he has to be ready at all times. So, for example, you probably have a routine that you do at night right before you go to bed. You probably have a routine where you walk through your apartment or your townhouse or your house. You, you have a routine. Uh, if it's anything like mine, I kind of do like a, a circle around and I make sure the right lights are off, the right lights are on. I make sure all the doors are locked. Maybe you also like pump, punch in a code for your, uh, for your security. You know, you, you have the, the routine you do every night. That's just something that you do if you're a responsible homeowner. Okay, what none of us do, none of us play thief roulette. None of us say, all right, it's October. I'm going to just make it spicy. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick one night that I think a thief's going to come and I'm just going to lock up that night. I'm just going to leave it unlocked the rest of the time. We'll just see what happens. I'm going to see if I can time it just right. No one does that. You wouldn't even think to do that. You don't try and wait and then time it when you think a thief is coming. You have to always be ready. Why? Because thieves don't generally give you a heads up when they're about to come. They don't leave like a sticky note on your door, like, hey, I'm not telling you when, but tonight I'm gonna break in and rob you. They don't do that. So because you don't know when, you have to be constant. It's every night. Lock the doors, check the alarm, turn on the lights, turn off the lights, whatever you do, you have to do it all the time. And Jesus says, it's the same dynamic. I am coming but you don't know when, so you have to stay ready perpetually. Great illustration. This was such a powerful teaching from Jesus that not only does Matthew record it, Luke also records it. Paul repeats it here. Peter repeats it in his letter. John repeats it in Revelation, a fresh revelation of the same illustration. This illustration of Jesus returning as a thief in the night it grabbed a hold of the early church and every generation of the church since so that we stay perpetually ready. Now you say, okay, yeah, but Jesus is comparing his return like a thief. That's a bad thing. Like when Jesus returns, it's not a bad thing. He's not stealing things from you. You're actually gaining more than you could imagine if you are a follower of Jesus. But that's not the only illustration he gives. He says, it's also like a woman in, uh, in labor. Now, there's a lot of things from my life that I've, details that I've forgotten over the years, but I'll tell you one thing that is singed and burned into my brain, and I will never forget it, partially because I nearly passed out each time, okay? 
it's when my wife Rebecca went into labor with all with each of our three kids. I can remember like it, every detail. It is burned into my brain. Okay, and you at least know someone who's very very pregnant. You've at least been around someone in that season. It's a woman. She's 38 weeks pregnant, and everyone she knows is like hovering around her, right? Like she sneezes in the other room and everyone runs like, has it happened yet? Are you in labor? She's like, I just sneezed, leave me alone. You know, like everything, she's like a time bomb and everybody's waiting for her to go off. You know what I'm talking about? What's happening when, when a woman is about to go in labor, you're ready, okay? You have a bag packed, you know, you've, depending on how neurotic you are, you've tracked different ways to get to the hospital or whatever you do, you know who's gonna watch the other kids, you've got everything's planned out, you got people on speed dial, you're prepared because you don't know when she's going in labor. But here's what he, 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 he draws out here. He says, but when she does, you're not surprised. You've been waiting, you've been preparing, you've read books, especially if it's the first child, you've read like 10 books, okay? You've gone to the classes, you've talked to the doctor, you've got everything ready, and when she finally goes into labor, you're not like, whoa, what is happening? Like, this makes no sense, what's going on with you? You don't say that, you know you're not surprised. You don't know when, but you're not shocked and surprised when it happens, because you're ready. Here's what Jesus is saying. And what Paul is repeating, he says, here's why I don't need to tell you. You already know everything you need to know. You heard it from Jesus or you've heard it uh, repeated from Jesus and carried on by his, by his followers. He says, Jesus is going to come. You don't know when, but you've got to be prepared and don't be surprised. You've got to be ready. Well, now what does readiness mean, Paul? I mean, obviously we're not <clears throat> you know, going to pack a bag. I mean, we're not taking anything with us. So uh, what does it mean to be ready? Well, he's going to talk through this. Let's look at what does readiness look like? Let's pick it up in verse five. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Here's what he says. He says there's basically light and dark. There's day, there's night. And this is a common theme throughout uh, the scripture. Uh, Jesus himself refers to himself as uh, the light of the world. Many of you, when you started following Jesus, it felt like finally someone flicked the light switch on in your life. You can testify as why this is such a common metaphor in scripture because before that you felt like you were fumbling through the darkness. Your life felt like you were constantly kind of feeling your, your, your way around and you're feeling this over here and then you bumped into something and now you're trying a different path and now you're going over here and you bumped into something and you never have a clear view of what's what. You think you know what's what. You think you know what's true, what's false. You think you know what's gonna help you, what's gonna hurt you, but you don't even know well, what is this and what is that and you don't even know about your own self. You can't even see yourself clearly and then some... At some point, Jesus comes into your life and it's like the switch is flipped on. And you're like, 
yeah, I got to avoid that. That's going to destroy me. And yes, this is not a good path. I need to be on this path. And yeah, why am I going this way? And then you look at yourself, you're like, now I understand myself. I'm, I, I, I do have sin in my life. I am broken. But then you realize even more truth. Jesus has taken that sin away. And I see what, who he's called me to be, the identity I have. I'm a child of God. He calls me son or daughter and he loves me and he's walking with me. And now I have a path. I have a mission. I, I'm not just wandering around trying to find a destination that I don't even know where I'm going with this life. I know clearly my mission. It's like the light switch has been flipped on. Some of you have experienced that in your life. Some of you are here and you've never experienced that, but you're going to be given an opportunity to experience that today. But, but, but it's like there's walking in darkness and there's walking in light. And he says, some of you, because he, he's referencing Christians, he says, brothers and sisters, you're of the light. But sometimes Christians that are formerly of the light are falling back into some things that are in the darkness. And he gives two illustrations. He says, here's what happens in the darkness. That's when people fall asleep and that's when people get drunk. And so how can you be ready? He says two things. Don't be lulled to sleep by this world and don't be intoxicated by this world. Don't be drawn back into darkness. Stay in the light. All right, put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. Because if he says, okay, that's what's in the dark, well, then what is in the light? How do we live? Let's pick it up in verse 8. Here's what he says. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that where, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He says, here are the things of the light. He says, the things of the light. He says, I want you to clothe yourselves faith, with love, and with hope. Now, this is the theme, one of the main themes of this entire book. In fact, if, you, if I, I'm going to read it to you, you don't need to go there. He, he's at the end of this letter, at the end of 1 Thessalonians, but at the very beginning, verse 3, the third verse, this is what he says. He says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, these three things have been ma a major theme throughout this entire book. And so here's what he's saying. Here's how you stay in the light, Christian. This is what readiness walking in the light looks like. It looks like this. You have a work that flows out from your faith you have a faith in the gospel that's boiling up. A powerful miracle has happened. You've been made a new creation. And it's welling up inside of you. And it's flowing out into living a godly life. He says the, the works from faith. He then says there's a, a labor that's from love. See, we, you and I know if we stop and think about it, actual, true, committed love is not just being nice when I feel like it. Love is that conviction, that commitment to be willing to labor out of love for the, sake of, for the sake of the person that we're called to love. He says it's an overflow of 
of, of works from faith. It's an overflow of labor from love. And then he says, it's a steadfastness that comes from your hope. You Christian are anchored and grounded in your living hope. Jesus Christ, your king is seated on the throne and nothing can change that. He says, there's a steadfastness that wells up. There's no anxiety. There's not fear. There's a steadfastness that wells up from hope. He says, make clothe yourselves with faith, love, and hope. But did you notice what kind of clothes he talked about? It's not just a, a garment. It was armor. He's giving pretty much an exact quote, almost an exact quote of Isaiah back in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16 and 17. Let me just read it to you. It says this, he saw, this is God, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm, God, then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Remember we talked about Isaiah? God surveyed the world and saw that there was no one who could come and save. No one who could one day finally, once and for all, bring justice and righteousness. And so God himself entered in as the Savior. And how is he clothed? He has righteousness as a breastplate, faith and love. He's got salvation as a helmet. And so listen, now Paul is saying, Dress yourselves. Dress yourselves like God. Here's how the second coming is described. It's like the first coming in that it's bodily, but the, where it describes it differently is this, when he comes again, he will not be coming as the humble, suffering servant. He'll be coming as the conquering hero, warrior of heaven to take command take his rule and his reign and he'll be coming with the armies of heaven is how it's described and we will join him join up with him welcoming him down into earth and he says clothe yourselves as a kingdom warrior now what are the, what does it mean to be a kingdom warrior faith and love and hope so that you will be wearing the, wearing the, the, the armor, wearing the clothing, wearing the colors, wearing the banner, that you are ready for his return. And then he ends with this. He says, because that day is the fulfillment. There's no wrath for you, Christian. That was expended on Jesus, exhausted on Jesus. He's not coming to bring wrath to you. Though he died so that you might live. When he returns, that's really good news for you. Here's how he ends the final verse of 1 Thessalonians uh, the, in 5. In this section, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Christian, the moment that he returns, if you're understanding it correctly, is something that encourages you. It's something that builds you up. I mean, what happens when Jesus returns? Once and for all, injustice is dealt with. Once and for all, redemption is here. The, the broken pieces of your life 
the broken fragments of your story that don't make sense, the scars and disappointments finally have find their redemption. The broken parts of our world are finally restored. Every tear is wiped away from every eye. Finally, the, the hurt and the pain is no more. When Jesus returns, if you are in Christ Jesus, the wrath is taken away. That is, a, that is good news for you, Christian, when he returns. He's bringing life once and for all. Now you are entering into the life that he is preparing you for. That's why at the very end of the Bible, Revelation, the final words is the church crying out, Come, Lord Jesus, please come, Lord Jesus, because there's nothing better for this world or your life than the moment that Jesus returns. Can we celebrate that together? Okay. What is this text saying for us? It's telling us the end. Spoiler alert. It's telling us what's coming. Let's just start with this. Jesus is coming again. You don't know when. You say, oh, pastor, sometimes like I'll be reading the news and I'm seeing what's going on around our globe and it gets me worried and anxious and I don't know, does, does it mean that Jesus is going to come soon? 2,000 years ago, they read this letter from Paul and they said, I don't know when he's coming, he's coming soon. It's probably in our lifetime. And every generation of Christians has said since then, and it's our calling to, to continue to stand firm and be ready. So when I read the newspaper, do I say he could be coming soon? Well, I don't interpret the Bible with the newspaper. But what I do know is that the Bible tells me be ready because you have no idea when he's coming and he's coming soon. You don't know when, but you've got to be ready don't be surprised when he comes. Okay, let's work this out because he gave us a lot there to work out. Let's start with this. Um, he gave us two warnings about being someone who's of the light but falling into darkness. And he, got, he gave us three challenges of being in the light. Let's start with these two things. He says, don't be in the dark. Christian, you're of the light, so don't fall asleep like you're in the dark. I think sometimes Christians... Uh, over time, as we're journeying with the Lord, we can tend to start to doze off. Maybe you can look back at a season of your life where you would say, man, in that season, I was on fire. The, the fires in my heart, man, I, I just loved God so much and I constantly saw him at work in my life and I would run to times of prayer. I couldn't stop singing worship to him. I would read the Bible. I would tell everyone I knew about, about Jesus. Like I was always looking for opportunities and I, would, I always wanted to be around my, my church family and I was engaged in the mission of my church in every way. Like I, was, I felt like on fire, like I was journeying with God. But you say, man, at some point, man, that fire started to dip. The lamps kind of started to go out a little bit in my life. Maybe it was a disappointment that caught me off guard, or maybe it was some pain or some trial, or maybe it was just neglect, or maybe I just got out of the habit, or maybe there were some things. And slowly, 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 if I look back to previous seasons, it's like there was a spiritual fervor and a fire, and now those lamps are starting to dim. I was like wide awake spiritually, and now I feel like I'm dozing and kind of slumbering through my life. 
Christian, stay awake. Stir the fires. Turn, let, the, let the light of Jesus be a blaze in your life. Keep those lamps burning. You say, how do I do that? Go back to the things you did at first and recapture your first love. And first, first and foremost, ask God. Say, God, give me my first love back for Jesus. I want when Jesus to find me. Because you know what? Jesus very well may come in your lifetime. And you don't want to catch him. I don't want him to catch me in a season where the lamps are, are dim and the fire's going out and I'm spiritually sleeping. I want him to find me alert and alive and awake. Here's the second thing he says. He says, stay awake, Christian. Here's the second one. He says, stay sobered. Don't let the darkness intoxicate you. You know, I think that so often this happens when we um, have a new season of life come upon us. So let's start here. I think of uh, you teenagers. You, you go to student ministry, and uh, hopefully, and you're at student ministry. You're around um, other Christians that are your age, and you, you have a good tribe, and you hear teaching, and then you have camp, and then you have these opportunities, and you, there's, a, there's a fire that starts to kindle, and everything's going well, and you're, you're, you're asking good questions on how can I spend the rest of my life, and what do you want to do with me, Lord, and, and how can I honor you with my life, and everything's going well. And then you, you, you leave your home, and you go to, maybe you go to college, or you're in young, young adulthood and you find yourself on your own and all of a sudden you're in a new season. And all of a sudden you have, uh, you have new independence, you have new freedoms, you have new friends, you have new ideologies and philosophies, you have new things coming your way and all of a sudden all of those things, the new access you have to things, it's all so intoxicating. And after a month or a semester or a year or a couple years, you find yourself intoxicated and wrapped up in the things of this world. And you say, what happened? Because I was, I was drinking deeply of the living water and now I'm intoxicated by the things of this world. He says, stay sobered. Or maybe you're a, a young adult and you're preparing for a career and then you're, you're on fire for the Lord and all of a sudden you step into your career. And now you're around other people. All of a sudden, you've got more money than you, you did in the previous season. You've got more pressures than the previous season. You're surrounding coworkers, and they're showing you how they're, they're living out, how they live out their career, how they spend their time, what they pursue, what their most important things are in their life, how they spend their weekend, how they spend their time, how they spend their money. And you're now all of a sudden so intoxicated, and all of a sudden, the career becomes the most important thing, and making money and spending money becomes the most important thing. It becomes your significance, and all of a sudden, you've drunken deeply of the world's view of what what life, what life is, and you find yourself intoxicated by the things of this world. Maybe you're a young parent, and you have all these dreams and plans of how you're going to lead your family, and how Jesus is going to be the center of your family and the foundation, and then you have kids, and now all the pressures of having children, and all of a sudden now there's pressures for them to succeed in socially and succeed academically and succeed athletically and succeed musically, and, and you want their lives to, you want them to do well, and you see what the coaches are telling you and what the teachers are telling you and what uh, their friends or families are doing, and all of a sudden you find yourself just intoxicated with this whole urge to get your kids to be successful by the world's standards, and all of a sudden you turn around drinking deeply of that, that view of the world, and it's darkness, and you find, man, our home has now been built on something other than Jesus Christ. And you say, look, we, we still love Jesus, but we really, our family pretty much just looks like the rest of the world with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. Don't be intoxicated by the things of the world. 
Maybe you are, your kids are out of the home and you find yourselves the empty nesters or maybe you find yourself retired and you find yourself all of a sudden recapturing time and recapturing a new season of life and you say, man, we've been working towards this. We've been saving towards this. We've been dreaming about this. Finally, now I've, we've got some freedom. Finally, now we can do the things that we want. Finally, now I'm retired. Finally, now no, someone doesn't have to tell me where I need to be. I now can have my own life and do the things that I want to do. And you say, finally, now it's me time. This season is for me. Christian, you left me time at the foot of the cross. Every second of your life has been laid claim to by Jesus Christ. If you have greater freedom in your life, it is to expend that season of life for Jesus Christ and furthering his kingdom. Don't be intoxicated by the things of this world. Stand firmly on a life that is dedicated to the mission of Jesus Christ. Don't be intoxicated to the things of this world. He's calling out saying, look, you can fall asleep but you've got to stay awake. You can be intoxicated by the things of this world. But listen, Christian, Jesus may be returning before this year is out. What do we want him to find us giving our lives to in what might be the remaining months of this world? Don't be in the darkness. Don't fall back into the darkness. Walk in the light. What does he call us to do? He says, do the works that flow from authentic faith. Sometimes Christians, what we can do is we can forget that true faith pours itself out in godliness. You've been declared righteous by Jesus, you, by God. You have the righteousness of Jesus. Now walk that out in your life. And he calls us to walk in the light. See, here's what the, those in the darkness believe. Living a godly life is choosing to shackle yourself, to put yourself in a straight jacket of morality. And you're giving up freedom. Christian, that's a lie. Sin is what's putting you in a prison. Sin is what's, your, what's a slave master. Sin is what's shackling you down. Sin is what puts you in a straitjacket and calls it living it up. Sin is what puts you in the shackles and it's leading you down to death. It is for freedom you've been set free. Righteousness leads to life and Jesus is calling you to live a life of abundance, following in his footsteps. Christian, he's calling you to break the shackles of sin and live a godly life, living out what you've already been declared. Christian, are there things, that, sin in your life, that if you're honest and you're listening to the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, if you're honest, you know it's not what he, what he wants you to be giving your life to, giving your time to. It's, it's habits, it's routines, it's practices, it's, it's thoughts, it's things you say, this is fine, I'm not gonna change this, and, and God's not gonna change this, and no one is. Are there things you're still holding on to? But Christian, you're in the light. See it for what it is. See it for what it is. It's broken chains. Be set free to run after life and righteousness. Why? Because Christian, he could come before the month is out. Don't spend another day living in the chains of sin. Live out the godliness that comes from faith. He says that there's a love in you that wells itself out to a labor. Christian, do you know who you are? You are called to be like someone that comes across a hurting person unexpectedly on the road and to be a good Samaritan and heal their wounds. That's what it means to love your neighbor. You are called to live a mission of love, laboring 
for love, for your spouse, for your kids, for your extended family, for your neighbors, your friends, for your coworkers, for strangers, for your city. You are called to live a labor of love. That is your mission, church. That is what you're called to do. You're called to let love pour out into a labor. And here's the reality, according to the Bible, it's very possible that Jesus will have returned before the end of the week. We might never meet together as a church again this side of heaven. The next time we gather might be in the very presence of Jesus himself. You might have five more days with coworkers. You might have one more chance to, to call that loved one. You might have one more chance to impart something to a neighbor because Jesus is coming again and he tells us to be ready. He tells us to be ready to be agents of love on mission, stopping at nothing to be on mission for him because when he returns, we want him catching us, pouring out love for a city that he's told us to love. Here's the last thing. He said, and you have a steadfastness you have a steadfastness that pours out from hope. You have a hope living inside of you, Christian. It's that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's alive. He's on the throne at the right hand of God Almighty. He is your king. He is your savior. You have a hope. It's all safely in his hands, even the things that don't make sense, even the things that are not how we would have written it, even the things that we wish we didn't have to walk through. He has it all. We have a hope, and he's turning it all around for good. We have a hope. Let that pour out into steadfastness. We don't have to be quaking in fear. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to, we don't operate. At, we don't have a spirit of fear. We operate in triumph knowing that we have victory in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be glued to every single nuance of every single uh, current event in terror. We know who safely has it in his hands. Why? Because at any moment, Jesus is going to return. It could be before the day's out. You know what's going to happen on that day? If it's anything, if, it, if it's literally like what he described, it, it may be symbol, symbolism, but it may be literally, if it's literally what he describes a few verses earlier in Thessalonians, one day when we least expect it, a cry of command will, will call out from the heavens, Jesus Christ, Almighty God, our Savior, will be returning to take charge of what is his own. And the angels will join him in a war cry. Trumpets will blast and pouring out of heaven as the sky rolls back like a scroll, pouring out of heaven comes Jesus to take rightfully what is his own, all of creation that he sits on the throne. And we will, we will be taken up and join him as he is coming down to reign and to rule for all time. And we will finally be in a place, a brand new creation that he's going to recreate with new bodies. You are not going to be in a strange place, Christian. You'll be in a place that feels more real and more alive than you ever imagined. You'll be in a place where you said, this is not a foreign land. This is the home my soul has been aching for for all time. My heart has been homesick for this, and I'm finally home. I'm finally home in the presence of my Jesus, and that is coming. It may even come today. You have a hope, and Jesus is coming. So let's be faithful and let him find us ready. Not falling asleep, 
not intoxicated by the world, but our faith working itself out in, in the works of godliness, our love working out in a labor for the mission that we're called to, and our hope welling up in a steadfastness that is unmovable because we stand on the rock. Let's pray. Can we just take a quiet moment of reflection because I believe that there may be some of you here today, believers, maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring up in you a way that you've fallen asleep or been intoxicated by the world, a way that he's calling you to work, work out godliness in ways you've been justifying or rationalizing or recapture the call to love in a way you've grown weary or maybe there's a, a fear that's crept up, but you need to stand firm. Can you go back to the works you did at first? Don't let the lamps go dim in your life. Let him rekindle that fire of your first love. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're here today and you say, look, can you, can you pray for me? I'm a believer. I walk in the light. But can you pray for me because I want to, uh, I want to return to my first love? then what I want to do is this. If no one looking around, everyone's eyes closed, heads bowed, I want to pray over you. And if that's you, if today you're like, I need to recapture my first love, I want you, believer, I want you just to slip your hand in the air and put it back down. No one's looking around. It's just you and God saying, I want to recapture it. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All over. Praise God. Anybody else you say, I, I need to definitively make a statement before God Today, I need to recapture my first love. I've fallen asleep. I've got intoxicated by the world. I've forgotten faith and love and hope. Just slip your hand and say, I want to recapture my first love. Just slip it in the air. Then you can put it back down. Praise God. Praise God. Fill them, Lord. Fill them now, Jesus. Call their hearts back to you. Holy Spirit, meet them here. Change them. Transform them. Others of you may be here. And you may be saying, um, I need to step over from the darkness into the light. I don't know Jesus. I've never, uh, I've, maybe you've had another religion or you've had other ideas or maybe you're just trying to live a good life or maybe you've tried to live a, you've just been trying to live a Christian life and earn salvation through your Christian religion. You can't be saved that way. It's the work that Jesus did. You just need to accept the forgiveness that he purchased by his blood, his death and resurrection. Maybe today you want to be saved for the first time. You want to know. You say, hey, look, I don't want to miss another day. I never know when Jesus is returning. I want to know today that I have salvation. And if you want to take that step today to find salvation, I want to encourage you, just slip your hand in the air and put it back down. You say, today's the day. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to take that step. Anybody else, you say, I want to take that step and put my faith in Jesus today for the first time. Those of you who are wanting to take that step, maybe you're here or you're watching online, let me lead you in this simple prayer. Just silently say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the work you did on the cross. Thank you for rising again from the dead. 
You are my king, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.